Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Welcome, welcome, welcome once more. Good morning to everyone. Well, good very early morning. 6 a.m. Welcome back to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. We have a show that's really packed tight today. And if you want to uh, participate in today's show, 1-800-848-WABC. You can call us live. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And today's topic is media responsibility. And I know listeners are are thinking, what the hell is media responsibility? Well, it's a bit of a heady subject. But listen, we do let me ask lot. you a simple question. Yeah, we do that a lot. You're right. Let me ask you a simple question. Why, 125 years after the establishment of the ASPCA, we still are killing 4 million pets in this country? So what we're going to be doing is we're digging deeper and deeper into analyzing this question because it's not an easy thing to figure out. And no. the media is a part of it, folks. So we're going to talk to some people from the media today, some intellectuals. Um, Lisa Colangelo from the Daily News is going to be joining us. But before we get into any of that... We have a hot-breaking topic that we're going to segue off into, and that is a new piece of legislation called Oreo's Law that was introduced in the New York, New York State Legislature. Last year. Last year. Mm-hmm. Failed in, was the, tabled, in, in the committee. Tabled and reintroduced this year. And it's just got reintroduced. Mm-hmm. And we want to bring online really fast because we're, we're just so out of time. Got a packed week. show. Yeah. yeah, a packed show. We want to bring online Carrie Claire, president of Pets Alive in New York. Uh, Carrie, are you with us? I am. Hi, Alex. Hi, Brenda. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning. Good morning. Did you sleep at all? <laughs> I certainly did. I was uh, anticipating this morning, though, very well. I thank you for fitting this in. It's a really, it is, like you said, a hot subject, and um, I'm really glad that you have made the time for it today. Absolutely. My pleasure, and thank you for joining us. So, so tell, tell us, what is Oreo's Law? Okay, Oreo's Law basically says that if a dog is on a euthanasia list or a cat scheduled to die at a, another shelter, that a rescue organization should have access to taking that animal into their facility. Um, that's the sum of it. Of course, it's much more complicated than that, and it does go into a little depth, but that's basically the summary. If one shelter says, hey, we're at a space, we have no more room, or for whatever reason, we are euthanizing this animal, and another shelter or a rescue like mine says, hey, I have room, I can take that animal, that we should be allowed to do so. You wouldn't, think you'd, need a, you wouldn't think you'd need a well, law wait, for wait, something wait, like that. What, but Carrie, explain that what happens. I mean, the, the issue is not that the, that, uh, the shelter... Um, doesn't have the permission to give it up now. The issue, I think, from what I understand, is that the shelter can decide yes or no, can decide I won't give it to you, Carrie, and I will kill this dog because I just decided I don't want to do it. Exactly. This law makes it a requirement, right? Am I correct? And, and it's not necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily a requirement that they have to find a shelter to give the dog to. It, it's a requirement that if a shelter or a rescue steps up and says, I will accept this dog, that they have to give it to us. They can't say, nah, we don't want to give the animal to you. We would rather kill it, which happens across New York State all the time, every single week. And you wouldn't believe it. People hear this and they're like, what? What? Why does that happen, Carrie? Why, why, why does it happen? True. And it happened because this, the whole thing started with the ASPCA, our biggest organization in New York that is supposed to speak for animals, did exactly that. They, they had a dog that was, its name was Oreo. She was abused every day of her life. She was thrown from a six-story building and miraculously she survived. On the ASPCA took her in. They fixed her up. She had some aggression issues with other dogs and with one or two people at the shelter, although other people could handle her. But remember, this is a dog that had multiple surgeries, was, um, you know, had a lot of uh, medical problems, and they decided, well, they were going to euthanize her. Pets Alive stepped in and said, you know what, we, own it. we run an animal sanctuary. We are experienced in rehabbing dogs like this. We, we feel she should have more time. We're going to take her to Pets Alive and sanctuary her and help her get over this crisis in her life. And the ASPCA killed her anyway. And so this happens all the time, you're saying? All the time. We have a local shelter right near Pets Alive, and we have extended our arms to all local shelters and said, if you are a kill shelter and you are euthanizing animals, we will help. This isn't about the ASPCA, which some media people have tried to make it. It, the, the reason it became about the ASPCA is because they lobbied against it and they were able to get the bill tabled back when it was first introduced to the Agricultural Committee. So that's why it has become very, very much about the ASPCA. But let's take them out of the equation. It's not about them. Mm-hmm. This is about something that's happening all across New York State all the time. 
two miles from Pets Alive, we have a shelter that kills animals every single week. And we will go down there and say, we have six empty runs. We will take these animals. And they say, no, we don't like working with rescue groups. We're going to euthanize them. And they have, under the law, they have ultimate power. You cannot challenge them, right? You can't stop them. They have total power to say to you, Carrie, I don't care. You're a 25, 30-year, well-established rescue organization. We have decided in our infinite wisdom to kill the dog. Yes, and this is also about aggressive dogs. Another point has been brought up, oh, well, Oreo had some aggression issues, and so people have been making that like a huge issue with this bill. Listen, rescues, by and large, do not want aggressive dogs. We're not out there going to shelters and go, oh, that looks like a vicious dog. We want to fix that dog. We want to take that dog in. No. That's not what we're looking at. Well, it's going to put you out of business, right? Because pretty soon you're going to be loaded with aggressive dogs that you can't adopt and you're finished. Exactly. We evaluate every dog that comes into our shelter to make sure we aren't taking in unknown aggression issues. Oriolville was an exception that Pets Live did step up and say we would help because of her poor, horrible history. However, by and large, we are talking about healthy, happy, young, no-issue dogs and cats that get euthanized just because... Either the rescues are too lazy to turn over paperwork to us and the animal, and it's easier to euthanize them, or because they just don't want to. Carrie, tell us something. We're going to be running out of time. We have about a minute left. What can people do to make this? I mean, I know it's been reintroduced. I know it's going to committee first, where it got nailed uh, uh, last year when it got when it failed. I think in September or August of last year, it failed enough. It didn't even get close. To getting, and there have been some important changes votes. made to the bill from last year to right. this year. So, but, but what can people do to help you in getting this thing passed? Well, right now we are preparing something, and I should have it up on our website by Monday or Tuesday. We're preparing a what you can do sheet, and by and large, it will be to email and call the Agricultural Committee members and beg them to vote on this and approve Oreo's law. Now, that isn't the end. Once it gets past the Agricultural Committee, it then has to go on to the next committee, to the, to the Senate, to the House, and um, they will have to vote on But right now, the key element is to get it out of the Agricultural Committee to get them to approve the bill to go on. Right. And if people, if they, they go to the PetsAlive.com website, you'll see Oreo on the side. And if you click that, it will give you a way to just email or phone every single agricultural committee member and ask them to support this bill. Let's get let's give that again that URL again, www.petsalive.com, correct? Yes, that's correct. And we will have a complete sheet talking points and what you can do um, by Monday or Tuesday. Um, otherwise, they can just, on their own, please go read the, read the documentation, read our arguments, and uh, please support the bill. It's really critical for New York. I totally agree with you, Carrie. Thank you for joining us. This is breaking news stuff. We're going to be keeping up with We're this. We're going to follow know, it every I know week, there's yeah. a vote coming up in about three weeks, so we'll keep the audience up with it, and, we, and we'd like you back to update us on the status, Carrie. Excellent. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. You can Take go care. back to sleep, too. We'll Thanks, be Carrie. right back with Lisa Colangelo from The Daily News. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs... Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row, and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit DogsInDanger.com and click Donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now, before they run out of time. Without further ado, we're going to delve into this uh, this week's topic, media responsibility. And I want to introduce and bring online Lisa Colangelo, lead columnist for the Daily News. Lisa, are you with us this morning? Hi. Hi, Alex. Hi, Brenda. Good morning, good Lisa. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. I'm awake. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> we, we prefer our guests that way. Thanks. <laughs> we're hoping the three-year-old in the next room is not awake. So <laughs> He can always going. join the discussion. Tell him to call 800-848-WABC. <laughs> 
So, Lisa, you've been in this business a long time, the media business, meaning not the animal business, but you do write extensively about animal stories for the Daily News and other publications. For about 20 years, she'd been writing about animals. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. you've been in the business, in in the media business for a long time. So you're a great person to talk to some of these questions. Sure. Um, I guess the the, the top level issue to start, you know, our discussion is a a share of voice issue. Do you believe that the media gives enough of a share of voice to this not so cute side of the pet story? Um, I mean, I think that's difficult. I mean, I think it's difficult for a lot of important issues because as we all see, you know, uh, you know, the size of newspapers and the news holes over the years have gotten smaller and smaller. So it's tough to get a lot of stories into into newspapers these days. Um, I mean, I do, you know, I will say I do believe the New York Daily News writes more about this issue, especially about shelters. I mean, sure, we do the the cute, quirky stories a lot, as everybody does. But I do feel that the the Daily News over the years, um, even before I was there, and I've, I've been there since 1999, has really paid attention to, you know, the substantive news stories, whether they're animal cruelty stories or questions about city shelters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is something that we do cover consistently. I try to. Um, obviously, we don't really have anybody who's 100% devoted to this issue, but I've been tr- I've been trying to follow it over the years. It's probably not as much as people would like to see, but I think if you look at a, a body of work over a period of time, oh, you to- know, the n- news has com- has consistently right. covered this, and I've tried to stay on top of it as well, and some of my colleagues. Totally agree with you, but do you think that overall the media, including television, obviously, media um, gives it enough of an importance to, you know, I mean, there's 75 million dogs living with us in our homes. Mm -hmm. uh, And all we seem to hear about when they do doofy stuff or they become America's favorite pet doofy video or something. Or they attack. um, You know, there's a lot of other stuff. Or they attack, of course. Thank you, Brenda. Um, However, you know, there's there's a lot more going on with the animals, especially the fact that they suffer quite a bit. I mean, I'm just talking about pets here, okay? Do you think that the media pays enough attention to the other side of the story? I mean, I think... I think we do see a lot about pets, maybe not in the sort of substantive uh, policy-oriented way that that people who are very involved in the issues such as yourselves would like to see. I mean, you know, you will see on on TV these sort of, you know, exclusive, very splashy stories about um, bad situations at at various shelters. Every once in a while you'll see those, and that gives you a glimpse of things. Um, uh, I don't know if... If it's always, you know, as consistent as people would like, um, it's, it's, it's hard to answer. I mean, I think people mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. media care and they try to do what they can. It's, it's, uh, it's tough to get everything in the paper that you would like. Well, um, why, why is it that, Lisa, I mean, why is it that if there's a, um, a shelter that just suddenly says, hey, we have no money, we have no space, whatever their problem is, and they're going to kill 85 dogs, it will be on every single local broadcast. You're right. You're okay. right, because, it's, because right. it's what people consider news, which is something new, maybe something eye-catching, something shocking. Um, but and but I, if I, we... but. But, it, you know, the fact Go that ahead. there are 10,000 animals a year being killed in New York City, there mm-hmm. are very – I'm not going to say no one, okay, because I know that you're one of the few people that actually tries to, 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 to stay on top of this. But there are so few people writing about it. Um, you know, because I think – I mean, I'm still surprised how little people know, especially people who are interested in this issue. Obviously, if people aren't interested, that's a whole different um, – problem but people who are interested every time i write a story i'll get these emails or i'll get emails from people saying you should look into this and i kind of groan and sometimes i send them a few links from things i've written over the years and i'm like thank you please stay in touch with me i'm trying to follow this as best i can um i mean i think it's it's harder i don't know on one hand it's it's now that you have blogs and you have other ways of getting news out i do believe that there's more ways to get info out there in terms of traditional news outlets it continues to be tougher and more competitive to get any kind of story in just because there's you know less time maybe on tv or less space well there's more time on tv there's more network news now with cable broadcast than ever before i agree newspaper and magazine forget it for local maybe what i'm thinking is for local news or as opposed to features or or entertainment or or celebrity news, maybe just for for plain local news. I see what you're saying, though, in terms of some of these very local. Absolutely. um, I mean, every time there's been a vote, okay, uh, where Americans went to the polls and voted, they have always, always overwhelmingly voted to limit 
the killing of homeless pets. You put oh, up an issue. I don't care. If you can get it on the ballot, it's going to pass. The issue is can it go on the ballot? You just say, look, I'm just going to make uh, killing of homeless pets illegal. That'll pass. Oh, I'm going to make, sure. you know, you're going to have to feed him three times a day. That'll pass. Anything mm-hmm. you want will pass. You just okay? can't get it on the ballot. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't get it on the ballot. So with that kind of popular support behind it, why is the media not doing more stories about this stuff? And shelters and what goes on at the shelters. And like nobody's going to do a story about Oreo's law that, that Kelly, Carrie Claire was talking about a minute ago. Why is I that? I mean, I thought we had. I mean, like, I couldn't tell you without doing a little bit of research. Obviously, we all wrote about that story when it broke. And, and mm-hmm. I only caught the end of, and I do know Carrie, I've worked with her on stories, but I only caught the end of her interview. Um, I think what, what started the Oreo story, I mean, many people had written about the original story when Oreo was saved. But what was interesting was I think the ASPCA had gone to the New York Times. I'm a little foggy this morning, but this is what I recall, and sort of offered them this story explaining why they believed this dog would have to be euthanized and couldn't be placed. And I think it sort of backfired. I think they thought they were being proactive in that decision, knowing that it would it would have a lot of people upset. And then a lot of us followed it in the media. In terms of following the legislation, I couldn't really tell you off the top of my head. Right, and I right, think right. It's just a matter of, um, you know, I, I don't cover the State House in Albany. Years ago, I covered the State House in New Jersey. And I think if enough people show up to hearings and, and protest and show interest, that will sometimes drive coverage as well. Well, is it a, is it a conscious choice in Europe? I mean, this is just an opinion, right? Well, I mean, you, you have to realize that getting things in newspapers and, and TV and, and wherever else, magazines, is a, is a decision of a lot of people. I mean, I can say, you know, I have a story, and then several people up the chain have to also be interested in it in terms of bosses and editors. You have to figure out where it fits in the newspaper, should it go in a local section? Should it try to go up front? What kind of space will you get? Um, sometimes it's a matter if I write something maybe for a borough section of the New York Daily News, I'll get more space. It'll be further in the paper. Maybe not as many people will see it. Mm-hmm. If it goes up front, more people will see it. I may not have as much space. I mean, you know, over the years, depending on how things go, I, I feel like my editors have really um, shown a lot of interest. And again, it may not be what people want all the time, um, in so, terms of uh, some of these more policy-driven stories, like if I go to an animal care and control board meeting and people testify and they're frustrated with the with what's going on, it, it's hard to get a story like that in the newspaper unless it is hard, right? New well, thankfully, there's YouTube and Facebook. Exactly, <laughs> um, and whatever, and people's blogs, and there's and that's blogs, how they yeah. can get information out. Um, if I can pull something newsworthy, different, new um, out of one of those meetings, then it gives me an opportunity to write about it. And then every time I write about it, I try to remind people the thing a lot of people don't know, and I think it's important for the the animal rescue community to remind people is, you know, animal care and control really is the only place in New York City. Again, it's the city-funded uh, nonprofit mm-hmm. organization, but it's the only place where they can't turn anybody down. Right. You know, all of these better-funded um, shelters, quite frankly, with maybe, uh, you know, places where people may feel be- better about, they they turn down animals all the time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. if right. you want to go drop mm-hmm. off a, a dog and a cat, or you go to any of those other places, you know, by the way, ASPCA, and I'm not they saying... They can say no. Right? Sure, they say no or they put you on a wait list. Yeah, and there are right. wonderful places that do wonderful work, mm-hmm. but but they can say no, right. so they can keep their population smaller, so they don't, for the most part, have to euthanize for space. They have all sorts of resources that the city shelters don't have because they kind of mostly depend on city funding, which I've written about has been cut, you know, more than a million dollars over the last yeah. year. Well, it's an important distinction between open admission, no, no, have to take every that, but, animal. But yeah, what we're but, trying to focus on this show is why the media, for example, right. you know, is not uh, – when it's a nasty little subject, like mm-hmm. what we're just talking about, right, the, the outlines of it, you know, the, they can't say no. A lot of nasty people bring their dogs. They dump on them. They have no other choice. Their funding is being cut. It's a complicated, nasty little issue, exactly. okay? There's nothing fun about this issue. Nobody wants to kill them. The, the shelter director doesn't want to kill them, but they have to kill them because they're stuck in this no-win box, and mm-hmm. the mayor cuts the budget because their tax revenues are down. So when there's a story like this, okay, nobody wants to report it because I guess when you go up the chain, they say to you, Lisa, this is too, this is too, this is depressing, this is not well, maybe news. Maybe they'll say what's n- maybe what's news know, about we're speaking it. Theoretically, right? Maybe yeah, they'll theoretically. say what's 
what's new. You know, everybody knows that there's chronic problems. And we're talking now specifically about New York City Animal Care and Control, and I know you're talking about, uh, you know, nationally, and, and I can't really speak to a lot of the other uh, municipal shelters around this, the country. Um, you know, we know that animal care and control is underfunded. We know there's been this cycle of executive uh, directors, and some have been uh, more uh, successful than others in terms of getting public attention and working with people. Um, you know, I think things, I mean, I do have to say things have improved dramatically just since I've been um, sort of watching the situation, and I think that has to do with rescue groups getting money to pull animals out of uh, the shelter, and that's made a huge difference in terms of getting, you know, more and more adoptable animals out of there. Well, um, we, can't, uh, we can't have a discussion about, uh, about media and animal issues um, without raising this last question, which is, um, in your experience, have you found that there's a bias against certain breeds in the media, meaning a tendency to over-report attacks by pit bull-type dogs while under-reporting incidents involving other dogs? You know something? I was thinking about that question um, after you emailed me, and I don't think so because I think an animal attack or a dog attack is going to get attention regardless of what the breed is. I think it's um, all about what what the situation is. Did it involve a child? Was it a particularly, um, uh, you know, was the person injured very seriously? I think it really has to do with the situation more than even the particular animal or the breed. Mm. I mean, I think what happens is people sort of very generically start to refer to pit bulls in a certain way, even though we all know what's a pit bull. It's sort of Hard to identify. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I mean, I think I mean, the, the general consensus is that pit bull attacks sell papers, whereas mm-hmm. whereas others don't. So it's interesting that your personal experience has been that because there's some uh, there's some interesting research on the National Canine Research Council. Uh, we actually had their um, director on um, a couple of weeks ago, Karen Delise, who has a book out, and. Um, uh, and also the ASPCA even has a statement on their website which says animal control officers are routinely told by uh, media that basically if it's not if it's not a pit bull type dog, we don't want to hear about it. Really? Okay. Yeah. I would have to say that that's not So that hasn't I, been your experience? No, my experience has been it really depends on, on the situation. I would, as I would say, the severity of the injuries, um, you know, the severity of the injuries. Mm-hmm. I mean, is somebody not going to report if a German shepherd attack somebody, you know what I'm saying? I, I, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. see that. Right. I think it would really depend on, on the incident and probably perhaps if it involved a child. Right. You're, you're, you're so, Lisa, in your opinion, again, uh, theoretically, so in your opinion, the issues that the reason we don't see a lot of these complex stories is mostly driven by the fact that it's not new, right? Because it's yeah, been around I, for a long time. Or that, I mean, there has to be different ways to approach it. I mean, I've been sort of <laughs> trying to brainstorm different ways of of approaching consistent, um, you know what, let, let me give you this as an example. A couple of years back, uh, New York City controller Bill Thompson and, and controller Alan Hevesy before that had been sort of auditing New York City shelters. So I had, those were great opportunities when those audit reports came out to write about what was going on there. So I think the audit had said, uh, you know, things have improved, but they still have a lot of problems. So I wrote a story, and I remember hearing from the people, just so many complaints from the people at the shelter. You know, this was unfair. This was, you know, this made us look terrible. People in the shelter were crying. You know, it made me feel awful. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it, it was a really good opportunity to point out to people, um, you know, what was going on there, that you had a city official looking into it. You know, here are some of the, the problems uh, going on. and. Again, you know, yeah. you can't make everybody happy, which means you're doing your job. So. Right. Oh, you're right. definitely doing your job as far as right. we're concerned, Lisa. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and thank you. Thank you for joining us this morning. This Thanks is, for being uh, with this us. This fascinating discussion. Uh, you can okay. go on and on talking about the media these days, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a topic that we could have talked another 10 minutes on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thanks a lot, thank Lisa. You. Thank you have very much, day. Lisa. Take care. Bye-bye. And we'll be right back with our second guest. Hey, Brenda. What's the best way for the good folks out there to help their furry friends? Well, they can buy our Dogs in Danger branded t-shirts, mouse pads, and postage stamps. And you know those stamps are real U.S. postal stamps, so you can use them every day. Just think, someone else finding out about this cause each time you send a letter. So please go to dogsindanger.com and buy from our selection of logoed products. Remember, each purchase helps us save a life. That's dogsindanger.com. And we're back at the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. You can join us at 1-800-848-WABC. And uh, our next guest is Dr. Carrie Packwood Freeman, Assistant Professor of Communication at Georgia State University. Are you there, Dr. Freeman? Yes, I'm here. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, thanks for joining us. You're East, you're, you're, you're East Coast, so it's not too painful for you, right? No, no. My cat was happy to have me up giving her an early breakfast. Hey, good morning, uh, Dr. <laughs> Freeman. Dr. Freeman is assistant professor, as I think Brenda mentioned it, professor at Communication Georgia State University. And let me ask, uh, let me start out um, with at this early, early morning hour with a fairly intellectual question. On March 9th, 1954, Edward Morrow of C- and the CBS Network took on the establishment and stuck, struck a blow that ended Senator McCarthy's witch hunt. I'm sure you know about it and you've read about it and you've probably seen the, the, uh, the videotape from the, that period. Do you think that the media should take on an active role in helping ending, ending the suffering of the animals like CBS and Edward Armaro did in ending, you know, this, this terrible episode in American history? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of times journalism wants to think of itself using the term, quote unquote, objective. Um, and so with different social movements, whether it's the women's rights movement or the civil rights movement or different movements, sometimes they've kind of tried to portray like, you know, quote-unquote, fairness between sexism and, you know, feminism or racism and and um, civil rights. And so, and that always ends up, I think, looking bad in hindsight. And you can see now that those movements have gained more prominence in society that they, you know, clearly don't feel they need to balance out um, some civil rights stories with racist perspectives. So I'm kind of hoping we're going to get to a point where, um speciesism, as I call it, or as it's called, discrimination against other animals, um, will be something that is um, given more respect in the media and recognize that it's even occurring, for one, and then not feeling like every time that um, there's a pro-animal story or a, you know, a, a comment from a source who's an animal rights person, that it's needed to balance out that with an industry perspective or whatever, because a lot of times there's an unfairness in the news media because they constantly report on stories just that relate to other animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do it just from the side of the industry that uses the animal or the government that, you know, kind of regulates that. Um, and I'm thinking especially like a farmed animals, for example. And But they don't feel the need to balance that out with the, uh, a perspective that would be fair that would include the, the non-human animal's interests, um, either by allowing them to become more part of the story or involving people like you who work on behalf of animals to um, to be involved. It kind of is, there's only like sometimes activist stories that'll get out there, but most of the stories about animals don't are not really driven by or involving mm-hmm. sources well, who are advocating for animals. Well, Carrie, the, what, what, what you're kind of saying that I, if, if I can read in between the lines, what you, you seem to be saying is that the media's uh, psychology um, sort of moves in crests and waves. And, for example, in the civil rights movement, prior to the civil rights movement, I'm sure the media was still reporting on civil rights issues, but maybe they were doing this balancing act as you talked about, one this, one that way, one this way, one that way. And as the civil rights movement moved into its, you know, its, its eminence in the 60s, the balance went out the window and all the stories went one way. Started, and so therefore it moved everything up into the public attention. This is not happening in the dog world is what you're saying or in the, in the pet world. Yeah, I think we're, we're not even to the point where they're balancing stories, you know, with, uh, with a non-speciesist perspective most of the time. Um, and I think it's because journalism and, and other people in mass communication are so used to privileging the human viewpoint and the exploitation of animals is so normalized that they see that as objective reporting most of the time um, without really thinking that, um, you know, like, for example, let's say you're talking about um, a new medical procedure or, or a new drug, and they're saying that it was tested on, you know, rats or something like that. They don't feel the need to provide any commentary on whether or not that should have been tested on unwilling subjects, the rats. You know, they just kind of report it as a straight story about Mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals or something. So they don't even recognize those other animals that are in the story. So I think, yeah, we are pretty far behind. Now, I think with certain animals, um, like dogs and cats, there's more of a recognition that they deserve welfare than for other animals like rodents or farmed animals. Um, because a lot of Americans really adore dogs. Well, they live with them. I mean, we we may be yeah. living with our rodents too, but you know, <laughs> not willingly. It's not by choice. <laughs> Most of us, anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, in uh, 2008, I don't know if you saw the Oprah Winfrey Winfrey show. She dedicated an entire hour of her um, program 
to uh, puppy mills, and it was exposing uh, the horror exposing of the horrors mills. of puppy right. mills, and it was a big deal because you know Oprah is not one of those uh, you know um, investigative reporting themes. She's m- much more yeah. of a l- light news. Lisa Ling in there, yeah, she was. Right. She did like, the, recently. They did a you know she went. They did a vegan show, and they went into a slaughterhouse too. I was happy about that. Right. So, but after two thousand eight, you know, we were involved with that. The, the show had contacted us at Dogs in right. Danger, and we had provided we actually provided all of the dog pictures for that show. The set photos. Um, yeah. The set photos were. So anyway, so we thought that this was going to be a watershed moment and that the media was going to look at this a little differently Not because just one us. of their icons had just jumped into the bandwagon. Didn't happen, okay? Nothing changed afterwards. Really zero change. Now new legislation that I know of was introduced. Nothing, nothing changed. Why is that? Yeah, it's, I know we're always trying to reach a tipping point and not a lot of times not getting anywhere close to that. Um, yeah, it's, I think there's so many messages because the the public sphere where the media exists is largely a commercially run sphere, and so so. No, what do you mean by a commercially run sphere? I, sphere I don't get or that. fear? Oh, I, I don't know. I didn't understand that, Carrie. Well, just meaning that um, that we'd like to think that the media is a fair um, public forum where all views are expressed. You know, in a democratic society. But really, so much of it is influenced. What, what ends up, the programming and the stories that end up being told in the mass media, are heavily influenced by advertisers and sponsors. A lot of those make money off of animals, and so the bulk of the messages, and a lot of them are just subtle messages, are just to continue thinking about things from just the human perspective and to continue to kind of use animals as we do, and so I think that sometimes, even though we have these breakthrough moments where we have these investigative stories, they kind of fade to the background of the normal status quo reporting that doesn't really afford much um, respect and attention to the exploitation of non-human animals. So the next day it just wears off. Yeah, because there's a clutter, right? Of course, there's a clutter out there. I mean, that I'm, you know, I guess I'm saying we need more, <laughs> right? We need more stories, but I think we also have to recognize that not every, even though I, I study the media and I want um, better representation in the media, I also realize sometimes the media isn't always the answer. It can't be the sole answer mm-hmm. to all the problems that animals face because there's really so much of it is commercially influenced. Like maybe even you have a wonderful broadcast program like you're talking about that Oprah show, but in the middle of the show, there's all these commercials for steak and, you know, I mean, (laughs) who knows what else, but things that just kind of contradict a message of concern for animals and caring for animals. Yeah. So so do you think that the media's message is so diluted? Because on one hand, here we are, guys like us, you know, going around saying dogs and cats are really special. Why are you killing them? And at the same time, from the media's perspective, okay, and that's the 35,000 feet perspective, they're saying, well, wait a second, you keep talking about dogs and cats are being so special. But in the back door, we're killing, what, you know, 100 million uh, cows a year, yeah. you know, 20 million sheep a year. And as long as we're doing that, how the hell do you, do you want us to go and start concentrating on, 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 on pets and dogs being killed in shelters? There definitely is kind of um, a schizophrenia of sorts about the way we treat different animals. Um, but I don't know that I would say that there's as much that there's a concern that, at least from the media, that, oh, we shouldn't concentrate on dogs and cats because so many farmed animals are being killed. Because I actually think most people in the media are not as concerned about farmed animals, even though they're killed in higher numbers, and at least recognize that dogs and cats, dogs and cats to me are kind of more like the ambassadors of the non-human animal world. That's a good word. Towards, yeah, I like that. Us. You know, like we, that's, they're the animals that let us recognize that other fellow animals are also individuals with personalities and interests and feelings. And so I do think there, among the media, at least there's more concern for what happens to companion animals and less concern for animals that are in laboratories, although there can be dogs and cats trapped in laboratories, um, and on farms and yeah, but, in circuses and things. But, Carrie, there's so few stories. I mean, last year, and this is not a good number, okay, but last year 34 human deaths were caused by dog attacks in the United States, yeah. okay? Uh, okay. That's, a, that's a big number. I was surprised at that. I was, I was thinking that it was more like four if somebody had asked me. But when we did the research, we came up with yeah. 34. Um, and as we know, two million dogs were killed by humans last year. So, so 34 to two. That's the, the count between human hand versus animal 34 hand. 34 to two million. 34 to yeah. two million. Right. Yeah, that's the right. ratio. Yeah. Now, 
who do you think got the the giant portion of the media attention? The thirty four or the two million? Oh well, anything that threatens humans always receives more attention. But the violence that we do, especially if it's institutionalized or normalized, is not really seen as a story. Right. Is that because, I mean, is this happening because the, the media's focus really is not to educate uh, as a corollary to entertain, but it is mostly to sensationalize? And in this case, you know, the sensational story is a human getting mauled. That's the sensational story. The same day that, you know, 3,000 dogs were put down in Georgia. Who cares about that? That's not sensational. I mean, is that the driving force behind this sort of uh, non-news stories about what's really going on in the shelters? Well, I mean, certainly, I mean, there's a lot of things that are sensationalized, but from a media ethics standpoint, that's not what their mission is supposed to do. But I still, I guess it's what I would think would drive this is just more of the the anthropocentrism or human-centered focus of the news stories that says if something happens to a human, it's much more important than what's happening to other animals, even though the, the, you know, the proportions might be way off and we're the ones at fault. Yeah, but is, um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that because uh, the guys that are watching the TV and buying the commercials are humans and that dogs right. are absolutely useless in selling anything or buying anything, as we know? Right. A lot of that is, you know, that media is business. And so, right. And so they're saying what is of concern to the people who are paying the bills, who are buying the subscriptions, who, yeah, are watching the advertising. But, I, I mean, definitely I've written um, journal articles that have kind of said that the media, at least the news media, has a mandate to provide a diversity of opinions about the world and, incl- and include other species' interests and not just the human species. Even though we understand they're talking, you know, the news stories are talking to humans and they're not talking to dogs and elephants and stuff, but we humans cause so many problems and so much pain for our fellow animal friends that it, to me it's an obligation to talk about how we are treating everyone else in the world and the mm-hmm. environment. You know, but I, I I get all that, Carrie. What the disconnect for me, the real disconnect for me is that Americans love their pets, okay? Let's forget about our animals because Americans yeah. also love their steak. Let's leave that alone, yeah. okay? But Americans love their pets. As I said before to, to Lisa uh, Colangelo, um, every time there has been a vote of any kind about pets, it's it's passed, okay? The, the, the thing is to get it on the ballot because most of the legislators know this. In front of the public, this, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and they notice, and they will not let a, 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 an initiative get on the ballot because they know it's going to pass. So the, the media knowing how much Americans love their pets, I'm just shocked that the only time that they talk about is stupid pet stories, the, just about the only time that they want to get involved in the issue. Now, uh, I don't know, maybe you can educate me, but isn't there something of interest there where you know that your audience loves this subject and they're making a conscious choice to go with the stupid pet story instead of something with, you know, something that's got a little bit of substance substance mm-hmm. and legs to it? Why is that? Right. Well, I guess I can't really <laughs> explain why that is, because, but I can only explain why that's not the best choice because I teach media ethics. And so I'm teaching future journalists about how to decide what are the more important issues. Well, so you're not, you're not saying that it doesn't happen, right, Carrie? I mean, you're not saying that I'm wrong in this assumption or, or this hypothesis, right? Oh, no. No, I'm not saying that. She just doesn't I have the answer. I can't really explain <laughs> why they choose to kind of ignore really important stories about everyday um, legally sanctioned killing of animals. I just think a lot of times when things are happening every day, they seem less newsworthy, even if those are all individual lives that deserve attention. Um, it's less newsworthy than, than, like, I guess, you know, the the dog-biting man story or something. Um, so it's kind of like yeah, so it's not really new. I don't know why that is, but it's just uh, – because a lot of times activists are always trying to let the media know, oh, did you know how – you know, giving statistics about all of this. But unless something unusual happens, I think, in some of these um, animal control shelters or whatever you want to call them – um, then they might think it's not newsworthy. Like things that happen every day are not not considered as newsworthy, even if we want we think that our everyday actions should be questioned. So, so instead um, of, of course, the news media is not the only place where these stories can come out because Oprah, for example, is not really a news media person. Absolutely, so there's lots yeah. of other places where we can tell stories, like on Animal Planet 
you know, network and things like that. But right. more in-depth, too. Right, and and that does happen in, in targeted media, but in general media, it's tough to yeah. get a real story out there. Let me tell you, yeah, it is tough. It you is. can you can bang mm-hmm. your head against the wall all day and all night with the B- best PR firm on earth, and you're not going to get right. your story out. They there. say, "Where's the news?" Right, where's the news <laughs> yeah. value? Let's say if it's Christmas. I wrote an article um, last year, I remember, and um, it was an article about, and, and it, the title was "Christmas Only Comes to Lucky Dogs," mm-hmm. um, and you know what? Huffington Post published it because it was Christmas. Okay, that right. subject is just as valid on Valentine's Day and it's just as valid on, you know, President's Day, okay? Uh, but the point was that because it was... Though. I mean, it worked for the news cycle. Right. Exactly. exactly. It was Christmas. It brought this warm and fuzzy feeling about the dogs that are waiting in Christmas. So Huffington Post put it on the front page. So what I'm saying is that the overriding story has no importance. How it fits into the news cycle and the mood of the country at that moment is the only way the story comes out. Right. There's a, there's a business to to news. There's a lot of pragmatism there, like you're pointing out, that a lot of it is just kind of there's news routines and the way the news production functions, that sometimes people things have to fit. Or even you'll have to jump on some international story and try to attach a pit bull or dog yeah. <laughs> related angle to a national story in right. order to get it in the right. news. It's right. so it, very tricky for activists. Yeah, it is. And it, it's sad. And it's, Well, it's I think PETA has you know. cornered the market on that. We, we, we don't have to have a discussion about that organization no. today, but, but surely um, that it devotes a whole uh, radio show just to the media tactics used by that organization. I know. I really kind of resent when activists have to feel like the only way to yeah. get these important issues in the media is by doing something sensationalized ourselves or dressing up in some ridiculous right. costume. It's a shame. Right. It's really a shame. We should have to do that. I so, think so if you dress up, legitimate stories. If you dress up as a dog and jump off a building, you'll probably get you're going to be in the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's unfortunate and sad. Because then it kind of dilutes the message because then they're not even talking about all the statistics that you're wanting to no. communicate. Your issue is not is not covered as much as your actions are covered like Absolutely. your activist actions. And then people look at you and think you're kind of crazy, and so they are not as concerned about what you have to say. So that's kind of the, the typical kind of protest cycle. And so activists fall into that. It's a paradox for us. Right. You know? Do we have to reduce our own personal credibility and do something silly or ridiculous to even get in the paper? Well, when I we mean, when we launched yeah, Dogs in Danger um, in 2007, um, we were astounded with the amount of media attention that it got. We never expected that amount of media attention um, from CNN and, and uh, USA Today and uh, the Today Show the and place. People Magazine. But now we're everything. old news. Well, now we're old news, right? They were calling it doggy death row, you know, and it, w- it was new. So, you know, the issue had been there for so long, but we put a new face on it and we made it personal and it, it, that made it new and, and newsworthy. But now it's old news. You know? Now it's old news. <laughs> we, we couldn't get on there if we went out there with a, with a checkbook. <laughs> You know? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you Carrie, know what? Well, your example that you've put, I want to thank you for doing the show that you do because this is a great example of using media um, for a really important purpose. So I think you should be really proud of your show. Thank you, Carrie. And we're very proud that you joined <laughs> us this morning and this early yeah, in the morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that you. there are people out you know, teaching teaching young journalists, you know, how to how to yeah. be a more socially responsible media and Definitely. Uh, more ethical media. So thank All you. Right, I think we're out of time, Carrie. This this subject can just go on and on and on and we can yeah. bash the media as much as we want, but it's not gonna change anything. No, yet. there's good people we in the media out there them. too. We but, need yeah. them so badly. We need more in mainstream. Carrie. Sure. But it's good to start your own show like you did. I mean, we have a show here. <laughs> it's been a long, hard road to get here. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you do desperate things when you get desperate. Our own radio shows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks very much, Carrie. Okay. We'll Thanks for joining us. Thank you again. We'll be talking to you soon. And we'll be right back with some more. When we first started thinking about dogs in danger, we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsInDanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and more than 45,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families everywhere. In today's economy, it's hard for anyone to part with their money. But Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to dogsindanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 a month will help us continue 
our life-saving mission. Donate to dogsindanger.com and do something good for your soul. Gain a body, save a life. Dogsindanger.com. One day, the world will be a better place for animals. Spaying and neutering will be the rule, and adoption will be everyone's first choice. Animals will no longer be dying in shelters, and every dog and cat will have a loving home. Making this dream a reality is the mission we call No More Homeless Pets. To join us, call Best Friends Animal Society at 435-644-2001 or visit bestfriends.org. Together, we can bring about a time of no more homeless pets. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Welcome back. And uh, now we're going to do the uh, dog of the day. And we have several dogs of the day. Each week we try to feature uh, at least one dog from the Dogs in Danger website to give them a little uh, added adoption exposure. Well, I think and you first, have four dogs today. Yeah, well, we have a few. Yeah, first I have to say um, thank you to uh, Joyce Fields of uh, Mansfield, Ohio. She sponsored um, a Husky Mix from last week, um, Isis from Sumter Humane Society, America's Georgia. Georgia, who was rescued by a group in uh, Pennsylvania. So that's great news. And uh, Linda Tierney in British Columbia sponsored Carrie, a little teacup chihuahua at the Baldwin Park, California shelter. And the good news there is Corey also got adopted. So, um, yeah, so yeah, Isis that's, and Carrie. Yeah. Uh, Isis Corey. and Corey. Sorry. Yeah, little boy. He was a little boy. Uh, okay. And so um, the two dogs uh, that we have that are still in need, uh, one sponsored by Leanne Nicklo in Pennsylvania. Sponsored Jovi at the Davies County Animal Control in Kentucky. Uh, um, uh, just a puppy, 12 months, I mean, 12 weeks old. Uh, Jovi is his name, uh, her name, sorry. And she's a, uh, looks like a black lab mix puppy. Absolutely adorable. About 12 weeks old. If you're interested, um, please contact the Davies County Animal Control Shelter and, um, uh, says Jovi came in because his owners didn't realize how much work a puppy was. Well, surprise, surprise. Hmm? Oh, and that's the reason that? they took him in? And that's the I way they surrendered him. Yeah. So, the, so did they do that with their kids too? First I think they, some people would if they could. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, How much work is. a puppy was. So here the reasons that shelters get for surrenders. And, and how many days does that does the puppy have now left to live? Uh, about 15 days. 15 yeah. days. They, okay. And, yeah. and give it again, the name and the, and, and the location. Jovi. In? At Davies County Animal Control in Kentucky. And okay. so uh, we have a phone number here, 270-685-8275. You can find all this information on the Dogs in Danger website. You can also email us if we talk about a particular dog that you think you can help. There are great uh, volunteer um, transport organizations all over the place uh, to help and with And the transport. shelter will help you with that. Just contact them. Look up Kentucky and you'll find Jovi. And so uh, we have one last dog for today, um, which was sponsored by Beverly Wolf in Orlando, Florida. Thank you, Beverly. And the dog is Dominic at Bladen County, North Carolina, and uh, another young black lab. Um, it's it's just it, it's amazing. You know, we we did a show on it quite a while ago um, of uh, the the black dog syndrome and the plight that black dogs face in shelters, and they are um, killed at horrifying rates. And uh, for those of you who don't know, um, and so we get a lot of uh, a lot of dogs. Um, Oh, I'm missing one here. I'm, I have so many dogs floating around in front of me here. I have to make sure I get them all in. Yeah, next week they're coming in live, folks. If you don't adopt them, they're going to be in the, <laughs> the studio. The dogs are going to be in the studio. Yeah, they're going to be in the engineer's office. Everybody at there. WABC is going, oh, no, they're going to bring the dogs in. You know, every week when we come, the security people go, you got any dogs today? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Dominic at uh, Bladen County, North Carolina. Um, and the uh, it, it shows, you know, these pictures, and I'm sorry that you guys can't see it on the radio, but, you know, the, the it, it's just heartbreaking to see um, the dogs staring into these pictures. And uh, it says, look into Dominic's eyes. They're pleading with you to give him a chance. And he's so hopeful that someone will see such a wonderful boy. Black dogs have such a hard time in the shelter. Where is Dominic? He's at Bladen County, North Carolina. A great volunteer down there, Sylvia, who helps them with their, uh, their adoptions of those you uh, animals. You call up and ask for Sylvia. Sylvia will get the dog up here. Yeah, okay. they're they're uh, I can guarantee amazing, you. I know amazing Sylvia. folks. We have uh, one more. Yeah, Sylvia's a great lady. Works real hard on behalf of the animals. Uh, we have one more. So uh, bear with me because these dogs are running out of time. And uh, this was this one sponsored by Teresa Flatten, Hermitage, Tennessee. Uh, Hermitage, Tennessee. That's right. Um, like the great and, palace in Saint Petersburg. And she's promoting Betty. Betty at the Johnson City, Washington County Animal Shelter in Johnson City, Tennessee. Another, can you believe this? Another young black lab mix. What is that? Three out of four are black That's labs? That's three out of four. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and um, 
Uh, she is uh, looks to be a young adult. Um, not a whole lot of information here um, from the shelter, but you can uh, reach the shelter uh, if you can help Betty. And the phone number is four two three nine two six eight seven six nine. And again, I know that was a lot Where of information. I just threw it, people. Johnson City, Tennessee. Johnson City, Tennessee. Yeah. So we have Kentucky. We have email addresses and phone numbers for contacts for all of these. And, um, and let's we'll try to the, let's try to give a good these, Valentine's Day. We'll have to a these. podcast on the show of the show up on the Dogs and Danger site tomorrow, so you can listen to the podcast right. and pick up the information again. Okay, right. so there is an op- another second opportunity because listen, you're going to be saving these dogs and you're going to be getting the best friend that money cannot buy. Happy Valentine's. Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Is that <laughs> a better way to do it than this? We still have a couple minutes left, right? Yeah, we have just about a couple of minutes, and I just wanted to ask you, what did you think of that show? I mean, this is a tough subject. Okay? This is media a media responsibility. Subject. About animals. Good luck with that one. Well, what do you think? Speaking of media responsibility, I can't seem, you know, I keep trying to get away from talking about Michael Vick, and I'm going to do it again. I, I, I give myself, you know, beatings Oh, this whole thing with, with Dallas? I, I'm going to do it again. I, I can't get away from it. Now the mayor of Dallas has given the key to the city to Michael Vick. Seriously? Wait, I, thought, I thought the mayor was against it. It was. Well, he wasn't against it. He didn't. Apparently, it was a mayor pro tem by the name of Dwayne Carraway, who's actually a councilman, but apparently they can fill in in a pinch for the mayor. So he went ahead and did this without the mayor, without Mayor uh, Leppert knowing about it. And so there's a lot of controversy going on in the city right now. So here's my advice to these guys, okay? Fire the dude. The mayor should fire this guy who did this on his back, right? I mean, seriously. I believe in second chances. But this guy is one of the worst animal abusers in U.S. history. He tortured and electrocuted and killed dogs. And now he's being singled out as some kind of like model of character. Yeah, come on. It's not like he confessed or turned himself in. I I believe in redemption, okay? I do believe in redemption, but I don't believe in. What has he done to earn redemption? Listen, I, you know, he's come back with the HSUS. He talks about what he's done, you know, the negative. Look, he got caught. Okay, and if he now, didn't get caught, he, there's a good chance he might still be doing what he was you doing. You may be right, but at the same time, and, and we don't have much time, but at the same time, he has come back. That doesn't necessarily mean that you got to make the guy a hero. Exactly. That's my problem. Right. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Right. Okay. Fine. He's He may he may be a great football player, you know, great. I wish him well back, playing. You know? He's come a long way back. But yeah. you know what? He's no hero, okay? And he ain't never going to be a no hero. hero. Okay. Right. So, guys, uh, the music's starting to, in, in my earphone, so that means the time. And next week, of, it's me or the dog, honey. We're going to get a little bit light, but it's me or the dog, which is a subject <laughs> close to my heart. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, join us again, 6 a.m. next week on 77 WABC, and uh, you'll hear about it's me or the dog, and you're going to have some 